0: Welcome to this message from Shafal Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached.
1: As some of you may know, myself and my sister-in-law Lenka put this book together in 2016. Who knows about this book? Okay, There's quite a few of you. Um, I, it's just a, it's a twelve women's stories, and um, I compiled it and. Um, I remember having a list of people that I want to share their stories, and then God said, no, that's not how it's going to work. I'm going to show you one at a time. And um, he left it until the last person he showed me three weeks before, which was Al Um <laughs> We went to print. So it was a faith journey, and um, one of them was Talia, our, our speaker tonight. And um, I thought okay, but Father, you're going to have to help me with this one, because she's very busy, and um, she, you know, how am I going to get involved and get in contact with her? We were, um, we had a a mutual friend, and all, the only details I had of her was a friend on Facebook. She was my friend on Facebook, and so I sent this private message saying, Holy Spirit, please let this get to her, (laughs) make this happen, and um, she actually got the message, and then um, I'm, I'm not sure how long after it was, but she said in her quiet time, God said, you must meet with Lauren. So thank you, God, for being on my side. <laughs> and um, we met up in Salomon. She made time for me in her very busy schedule, and it was three, four hours where we drank lots of cups of coffee and just shared our hearts, and there's so much... Um, That we realized we have in common, and it was just so beautiful. It was such a special, it was that kindred spirit, that same spirit. Um, And so that was where our journey started, and we've become friends. It feels like God brings us into each other's lives at very key moments. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna share a little bit about Talia just now. I just wanna give this book to our visitors tonight Billy and his wife. Okay. So there's just something for you to read. You can come fetch it. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to with us. Okay. Um, so just a little bit about Talia. She is, and I'm just going to read it because I can't remember all of this. <laughs> She's an international moderator, keynote speaker, award-winning reporter, presenter, director, producer. She's the founder of the television production company Talia Productions. Um, she is now based in London and she is sought after conference speaker and facilitator across the globe she was a reporting producer for cnbc africa and she's interviewed heads of state celebrities entrepreneurs she just goes on <laughs> she was the um vodacom journalist of the year in 2009 and she she was an in, uh, invited to be the international academy of television and arts science, science she was sorry she was a judge at the emmy awards in new york okay so <laughs> um There's so many things I can share. There's so many things that Talia has done and places that she's influenced and yeah, people that she has come across. But more than anything, um, she has a humble heart and a heart after Jesus. Um, And she has a, a message for us tonight, which I believe is not just for the people sitting here, but it's a prophetic message for Santon. I wish everyone could be here tonight. I'm very excited about what you're going to share, and um, it's really something that you can impart to us. Um, So let's just welcome Talia, and um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just want to... Yeah, so Father, we just thank you for Talia. We thank you, God, that she is a child of God that is um, impacting, Lord, society, impacting the business world. And just anyone that comes into contact with her, Father, sees how reliant she is on your spirit and how obedient she is to your will, Father. And God, we just pray that you will continue to go ahead of her and open doors, Lord, that she will be a prophet to uh, residents, Lord, and people in high places. She will speak truth, God, and cause companies to turn around um, for your kingdom, Lord. Um, In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow.
0: Wow. This is huge. This is huge for me. Um, I was telling my friend Andrew here, and um, just how big tonight is. I have... I speak for a living but I speak to people corporates I speak all over the world but this is the first time I'm speaking in the house of God and um so I'm if I cry I'm just giving you a warning that that might happen it's the fact that this is probably the most important um conversation I've ever had in my life because I'm representing my king um I'm so humbled to be here, and I want to just thank you, Lauren and Stefan, for entrusting me with the pulpit, but really entrusting me with the word of God and what God has deposited into my life. Tonight, I'm not, gonna, I'm not a qualified teacher of the word. I just live in soul dependence to Jesus. I don't know any other way to live. I live completely poured out to him my life in utter surrender to his call to my life. So when Lauren speaks and she says those things, I'm like, who is that person? (laughs) Because the journey behind the story is one of faith. Um, Every single thing that God has enabled me to do, the places he's enabled me to go to, the individuals he's enabled me to impact, it's simply All his glory. So before I even utter a word, open my notes, even begin to kind of frame what I'm going to share with you tonight, I just want to give glory to God. I want to really give glory to him because he has pulled me through and he continues to pull me through. And I just want to pray if I can. Heavenly Father, tonight is my first. And Jesus, I give you my first fruit. Jesus, I don't know, Father God, where this mouth will take me to the nations and the places and the people of influence, but God, tonight you have brought me to Santon for a reason. Jesus, I thank you for every single person here that is listening to the sound of my voice, and God, there are as many stories in this room as there are people, and God, I pray that my story would glorify your name. It would not give any praise to me, but everything to you. And Jesus, I pray that as I share your word, as I share from the revelation of what you've given me, Jesus, that people in this room would get excited about what you've deposited inside of their lives from the beginning of time. And Jesus, you would ignite destiny and purpose into every single person here tonight, and they would leave change. May tonight be a moment where even if 10 people, God, leave this moment thinking, I'm going to be great. Not average, not good, but great with the life that God has given me. I thank you for game changers, impactors, influences, Father, in this house that will stand in the place of presidents and kings, in the marketplaces of the world, in theater productions and entertainment, every sphere of influence from government to education, Jesus. Father, you have used me, a little girl from Zimbabwe, Lord Jesus, to stand in places, in boardrooms that I would have never imagined because of the grace of God. And Lord Jesus, right now, I thank you that if you can use me, you can use all of us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, right. Okay, so... I am very excited to be here. I've got water, good. So generally when, when people come and share the word, they always like have pictures of their family, like their husband and their kids. And they say stuff like, I'm aware this is when we're on holiday and I'm a preacher. I don't have a family yet. I'm not married. That was the story that I read wrote in the book. I'm single. Um, but that in itself has been a God story and a testimony. I'm, and I'm thankful for that because um, you don't have to be married for God to use you. You don't have to be married for God to use you. God can accelerate what he wants to do in your life when you're married. But marriage is not a precursor for being used by God. So I just want to put that out there. But um, so my name is Talia Senewe. Some of you were probably like, Talia? Like, What kind of name is that? Well, it's Hebrew, actually. It means dew that falls from heaven kind of gives you an idea of my origin um do that falls from heaven I was born in Zimbabwe any Zimbabweans okay my people it's good to see you anybody else from I don't know Mozambique Zambia South Africa okay good well um I was born in Zimbabwe I'm an only child any only children okay there's hope for us So I was born in Zimbabwe to um, a mom and dad and a mother who really should be here tonight. She raised me to be a woman of faith. She raised me to believe that nothing is impossible because I serve the God of the impossible. And she told me that the word is true and every promise in it is yes and amen in Jesus. So I just grew up believing what my mama told me. And with that, I was like, "Okay, Jesus, let's do this life." I was—I asked my dad a few weeks ago um, his earliest memories of me. Like, was I always like a talking kid? So he said, "Actually, yeah, you were." So my dad and my family—we, as I said, born in Zimbabwe—we moved to London. I grew up in the UK. Um, So my going living in London now is a bit of a homecoming. I'll tell you more about that. And um, my dad had a job part-time at Hamley's, the largest, well, one of the big toy stores in London. And apparently when I was like, yay high, I got into the toy store and the thing I gravitated to, I literally like beelined towards it was a play play microphone, a little speaker. (laughs) So apparently from the time that I was a babe I was destined for this thing called talking my mother who has since passed away she passed away nine years ago said to me that I used to talk in my sleep and she said there has to be some kind of job for you because you're talking when you're awake and you talk when you're sleeping so can we not make some money out of this so um, which I thought was quite funny so um, tonight I want to share with you my life story I want to get to it I have a lo- I've got a timekeeper and you're keeping me on time so and I respect your time as well tonight because tomorrow's work so tonight I want to share my life story and I want to also dwell on a story in the Bible which helps articulate that story, and my preach, if you 're taking notes or if you just want to get some context, is titled "The Gift: The Tension and the Release." The Gift: The Tension, and the Release." So um, let 's begin. dokey, so i 'm going to be actually reading from <clears throat> the book of Genesis. A story very close to my heart. It's the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph. I love Joseph because he reminds me of myself, you know, very, like, innocent in his naivety in the beginning. I have a dream. You're all going to, like, bow down and worship me. <laughs> and his brothers are like, are you kidding me? What? You must be joking. Even tells his dad, Jacob, dad, dad, you too. And then, and, you know, what I love about the story of Joseph is that there's a process to the gifting, And what I've seen in my life over the, I don't know, 35 years that I've been alive, but more the 10, 15, 20 years that I've been sort of working is God is a God of process and he doesn't skip a season. So tonight I just want to help you get context to the seasonality of God. Because sometimes you're in a season and you're like, Jesus, just where are you? Have you got your out of office on? <laughs> you know, But he is there because he said he will never leave you and he'll never fail you. But I want to start at the beginning, which is purpose. Every single one of us in this room was born with purpose and a gift. Some of you may not even know what that gift is. Some of you have jobs. But when you find out what you were born to do, your absolute gift, nobody, can fire you from your gift, because your gift is your calling. They can fire you from your job, but they can't fire you from your purpose and your calling. Which is, do, do, do you get that? It is so profound, because when you start to realize that, you realize that a job does not define you, but your gifting is what elevates you. Sometimes you are so focused on the job that you forget that you are built for something greater than the role that you're in. And that's the story of Joseph, and that's a little bit about my story as well, which is really exciting. Okay, <clears throat> so how did I discover my gift? I, I love this. I love this saying um, I discovered with um, watching. I think it was a just a kind of motivational talk by Steve Harvey, the comedian, and he said, "Your gift is the thing you do the best with the least amount of work. It's the thing that has the ease. It's like you're in your zone. Like you just, you just, you know what I mean? You just." You just, okay, fill in the blanks. You just flow. That is your gift. And often, the thing you do well prohibits you from the thing you do great. The thing you do well prohibits you from the thing you do great, which is quite interesting. Hey, it's quite interesting. So I was a student at UCT studied BA film and media I remember there was a guy in um, one of my residence halls who said to me you're studying a BA what are you going to do with that become a waitress and I said excuse me you'll work for me and we'll have this discussion again (laughs) so um, he went on to do great things but still he watches me on Instagram and he follows me on Facebook and he's like "Uh, I resent what I said to you and I was like it's okay I forgive you so I was a student at UCT, I was registered to do a BA Film and Media degree, and who remembers the chaos of O-Week? Everybody's trying to sign you up for everything from like rowing club, to chess, to yachting, to sport, to whatever, and somebody caught my attention and it was UCT Radio. So I, I, got, I signed up to UCT Radio, and the next thing I know, I have signed up to join the society called UCT Radio. I was assigned to be a newsreader on UCT radio. So this, this is the thing about calling and destiny. Sometimes you stumble into it. But the one thing about the stumbling is when you hit it, you know you've hit it. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like when you hit the thing that you're meant to do, nobody, I'm telling you, nobody can tell you otherwise. Because you know you found that sweet spot. So I'm standing at UCT radio and I get told that, oh, my goodness, as as things happen in life, the newsreader isn't available today. Can you please stand in for her? So I'm like, OK, OK. So I've got my my piece of paper in front of me. My 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 little knuckles are turning white. Like imagine they're turning white. I'm so nervous. I am so utterly nervous. But I'm standing in front of the microphone about to read the news. It's the bulletin. The green light starts to turn red, and the producer goes, five, four. And in that moment, in that moment, the moment the red light went on and I started to speak into that microphone, I completely came alive. It was like every single fiber of my being had found its way home. It was like an electricity I cannot even describe. It was like I found myself in the socket of my life and the power went on and I was fully alive. I cannot even describe the sense of joy, the sense of peace, the sense of excitement. And I just knew in that moment, whatever I was going to do, I was going to try and pursue this thing called broadcasting or speech or whatever. But I didn't know that there was a process that was going to unfold. Sometimes you stumble into your destiny, you stumble into your destiny, and you stumble into your purpose. I then decided to perfect that focus of my life. I interned at the Oprah magazine. Uh, I had an interview with the then founder of the magazine, and and I said to her, I want to know how to be like you, and I also want to know how to be like Oprah, (laughs) because she is Oprah. Um, So she said, I can't really help you with the Oprah part, but you can intern with us. So I took that. It was while I was interning um, in Cape Town, that's when I learned the key principle of take every opportunity. Because sometimes in the process of discovering your gift, you get a little bit arrogant because you think, excuse me, I'm supposed to be here when the opportunity comes. But the truth is you've got to start at the bottom. And then you work your way rung by rung by rung by rung so while I was at Oprah I started to see the world of publishing and interestingly enough I realized at that time that publishing wasn't really what I liked printed words were great but I liked speaking words those were like the better words for me and then I started to inquire about this whole idea of a bigger world So I went to UCT, and I discovered that UCT was able to give scholarships to people to study in America. I couldn't believe they paid for you. They actually paid if you just study overseas. So I applied to study in in Canada at the University of British Columbia, and I won a scholarship. And my then um, academic professor said, I think you should go to UCLA. Los Angeles will be better for you. So I packed my bags, and I went to UCLA. While I was at UCLA, that's when my mind opened up. I met people in my class who were, like, brilliant. You know, in South Africa, I had brilliant friends, but now I had, like, uber brilliant. I had people who had been interning at Miramax and Universal Pictures, and it was, like, insane levels of drive on steroids. I was like, who are these people? I need to know them. I then decided to do as they do, and I started interning as well, and I worked at um, Warner Brothers, and I worked on a Steven Spielberg production. Um, We worked on a a six-part Western series, Here I am, the girl from Zim, who's just following this idea that God's called her to be in broadcasting or something. So I'm still in effectively the stumbling stage. So I'm working at Warner Brothers and having the time of my life. My then boss, who was the vice president of production, um, said to me, I I think you really should work in, like, news or something. You're so chatty. And I was like, really, me? Me? I then got an opportunity to work in London at CNN International. And while I was at CNN, um, I had no idea. There's a gentleman called Wolf Blitzer, I don't know if you watch CNN, but Wolf Blitzer was doing a summer recruitment program and it just so happened, you know, that doesn't happen in God's economy, you know, it's a setup. Uh, It just so happened that I'd finished my time in UCLA and I was making my way to London and I had some time left over. Wolf Blitzer um, made, like, made an announcement to say he's looking for interns or whatever and I interned and I decided to put myself forward. I had no idea that this was like a prestigious internship program. I just happened to be in London at, at spare time. Um, what ended up happening is there were people in my group who'd flown over from all over the world to have this like summer internship program at the CNN. I'll never forget meeting Christiana Mampore, if you know her from some of the programs. She had just come back from Sudan and Talia was thinking I need to make an impression so I've got to say something intelligent I'm in the lift she's come from Sudan she's all like war torn and dusty and I'm like so how was it (laughs) she kind of looks at me and she goes how was it and I'm like, yeah, so how, how, how was Sudan? She's like, how, how was, this is not Starbucks. She was like, this is war. This is civil war. This is this, this is that. And I knew in that moment that you've got to pick your audience and you've got to pick what you're saying at the right time. Um, so Christiana Mampour and really my time at CNN showed me a few things. And I think if I look at my life, there are a couple of themes that I want to bring out before I, for, if I dwell on the word. And that is... Um, there are a couple of key theme- themes in my life where when you're looking at your gifting, you start to connect the dots into what the, the gifting looks like and the tapestry. So that my one would definitely be media. So I found out early on that this idea of speech sits within the broader context of the media. So UCT Radio was my platform and my launch pad. Malcolm Gladwell, the writer of uh, Outliers, often says that you need 10,000 hours to be good at something god gave me like twenty five thousand hours and some um so you've got to practice what it is that you're good at and you're gifting and this whole idea of global when i was at cnn that's when the global bug hit me hard i actually had another stint at the bbc um and saddam hussein had been found in the hole that was like back in the day i don't know if you know even know that story but saddam hussein had been found in the hole and and it was a time of the bush presidency and um I was told that I had to read that little part, which had been translated from AP, which is Associated Press, that said, we got him. We found him in the hole. Um, So I remember rushing down to um, one of our translators um, in London and um, just kind of telling that story to the world. And there was something about the global immediacy of being able to speak to a global audience that just hit me and i was i was again hooked but little did i know that i like joseph was about to enter some pit days and some serious prison moments i've had really good times with the lord I know that God is a God of faith and my time of stumbling into the Emmys it sounds so glossy when you say it but really can we just unpack the back end it was a hot mess of faith (laughs) you know what I mean so sometimes you hear the highlights package and you think wow but really all glory to God being part of the academy is is an incredible feat and I'm the one of the many people around the world when they say I'd like to thank the academy we are those people that they we vote in secret. Um, but how did that happen? Well, I was working for my my, my then um, employer CNBC, and I was in New York. Um, again, remember, this global thing had already like bitten hard. And I was at 30 Rock, and if you know New York well, it's the, the famous building. And um, my... The guy that was taking me around said to me, um, Tali, I want to show you the studio. It's amazing. So I'm sitting in his office waiting for him to bring me his coffee, um, me a coffee, and I see this glass cabinet, and in this cabinet, I've never seen so many Oscars and Emmys in my life. I'm like, is this real? Are you like a big deal? I should have Wikipedia'd you. You know, I'm going through all these things in my mind. Um, He comes in with my steaming hot coffee, and he says to me, um, he says, do you like them? I'm like, I mean, my eyes are literally glued. Uh, He's like, yeah, I won them. I'm like, and I said, "Um, are you like a big deal? Because I think I might have missed that. Um, And then he said to me, um, no, I'm not a big deal. I just, you know, I got this for editing. I got this for lighting. I got this for cinematography. And he said one of the things that I've never forgotten to this day, um, he said to me, you know, people think that the Academy is some hallowed organization. But the truth is all you need to do is make your documentary, tell your story, and apply. You literally just apply. You pay your $100 entry fee and you apply. Most people don't even get to the application stage because they've, they've already disqualified themselves from the process. It was so profound because we are imagining that there is this entire place where you're thinking some people can do it and I can't, but you can. And it, it just sat with me that you've got to just apply. Okay. <sighs> Thank you, Timekeeper. All right, media, global, and scale. Scale was the other thing. I've had an interesting career, worked for Old Mutual. How does a producer person work for Old Mutual? That was probably one of the best experiences of my life. And um, I tell you why, because it helped me to unpack the narrative of finance. You know, if you're a creative person, numbers scare you. And numbers on scale scare you really hard. And um, a, f- a really good friend of mine, no names mentioned, I had a job interview and I asked him to teach me how to um, read the stock market. I was like, "What is a share? What is, a, what is a JSC top 40? I don't know. So he patiently, the actuary that he is, um, helped me to understand the basics. And by God's grace, I got the job. Um, so what that unlocked in me was the idea of the interconnectivity of things and scale. I still am in my early Joseph moments. And then faith. I've walked a road of extreme faith. I don't come from a wealthy family. I don't come from a connected family. I come from a family that just taught me about the gift of faith. I come from a mother, as I said at the beginning, who told me that I needed to believe in the God of the impossible. And I've just believed that. My mom was the one who said to me, I believe you're called to greatness. I believe you're called to nations. I had to work out that in the process of my life. And even being in London is the working out of that process. But let's get to the word of God. Genesis chapter, that was my introduction. (laughs) Hope you liked it. <clears throat> okay. So Joseph has a gift, an extraordinary, exemplary, amazing gift, so much so that his dad makes him a coat. Nothing like um, having a level of distinction with an item of clothing. And, um, but what happens next, which I find interesting about Joseph and his life, is really not so much the first part of his life, the pre-pit phase, I'm more interested in the pit and the prison phase because what I've learned about your gift, whatever it may be, is that the acknowledgement of the gift was my introduction. I have a gift. I can talk. So can a lot of people. Um, The process of that gift coming under pressure and more so your character before you're released into your destiny is really where the work of Christ begins. Because everybody can bake, but how many people are Nigella? Or, you know what I mean? Everybody can do something, but how many people have ra- risen to the elevation of that? I want to just read something very quickly before I, I launch into that. And, and I've done a lot of research into this, and it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating to see how this is a universal principle, f- saved or unsaved. And um, don't judge me. Don't slate me. If you liked her writing, great. If you don't, just get the gist of what I'm saying. Okay. J.K. Rowling. Okay. there we go. It's out there. Um, the first self made billionaire author in history in history, um, if you know her story i 'll give you a snapshot. She was rejected from high school. Her mother died when she was twenty five she suffered uh, many miscarriages at twenty six she got married at twenty seven to an abusive husband um, at twenty eight she was a single mother on welfare living in the u k sitting in a coffee shop, literally nursing a cup of tea for the whole day. She literally penned by hand the Harry Potter books. Obviously, naturally, as these stories go, she was rejected by her publishers, duh, many times. Um, She she was 31 when she wrote her first book, and she's released 35 books. Harry Potter sold over 400 million copies worldwide, um, and of course, she's wealthier than the Queen. But this is the point that I want to dwell on. And I quote, I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything than what I was and began to conduct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Because my greatest fear had been realized, and I was alive, and I still had my daughter whom I adored. And I had this old, dusty, rusty typewriter and a big idea. And so rock bottom became the solid foundation in which I built my life. I've read many, many accounts of other people. Adele, I mean... She's not even 30 people. Um, A breakup. That breakup, that love story, wow, made her very wealthy, very, very wealthy. But it takes sometimes going to the pit of yourself or the pit of a situation to push you into your purpose it takes sometimes the compression and this and the the squeeze of something to activate the gift because sometimes you're sitting in the comfortable place where you're in a job You're, you're you're balancing things i have no i'm not knocking jobs but i'm talking about the true activation of gifts that i've seen time and time again is always when you're in a place of compression so let's go to genesis chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down from Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain and chief uh, executioner of the royal guard, sorry, an Egyptian brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he, though a slave, was a successful, successful and prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master of the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did flourish and succeed in his hand. So Joseph pleased Potiphar and found favor in his sight, and he served him and his master and made him supervisor over his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. That's profound. From the time that he made him supervisor in his house and all over that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. And the Lord's blessing was on all that he had in the house and in the field. There was complete trust. So as we know, the the beginning story, just to give context, Joseph is distinct. His brothers are irritated. He's a snitch. He's a dreamer. And he's just annoying. So they sell him off. And this is so profound. When I was preparing for this, they sold him, it says, to a group of Ishmaelites that were passing on a caravan. And we know, because we are children of God, that Ishmael was not the chosen. But what I found profound in this is that God can take even that, which is the mistake or a problem or even a generational problem from the past to set you up for your destiny. Because he st- the brothers were like Well let's not kill him Let's just actually just sell him off to these guys um, The Ishmaelites The very Ishmaelites And we know Sarah's story with Ishmael She was like very irritated with Hagar But she was that close to the promise And the promise came But look at how God can redeem So at the get-go No matter the context of your gifting God can use anything to get you where he wants to be It's so profound The Ishmaelites It was the Ishmaelites Um there were a couple of things that I noticed in this first account of Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house. Number one, God's, it was a setup. Number one, God set him up that the Ishmaelite sold him to a distinct person in the, I guess the, the administrative council, the government of the day. Even when you're in a tight squeeze in the tension of your process, God is still at work. God is still at work. I just—I have to say that again. God is still at work. So even when you're thinking, "I was with my brothers and they literally let me down," but now look at God. He sets him up in the right place. And note the following things that happen to him when he is there. And this, I found a distinct um, pattern that you see time and time again in the life of Joseph. And it hit me so profoundly. Notes, where are you? Ta-da-da. Okay. There was always complete trust. There was always complete trust in the area. The person never even needed to stress. It carries on to say that he, um, um, he didn't even, well, the only thing he stressed about was eating. So are you seeing the setup of, God, of Joseph's gifting? Someone trusts him in high authority to manage the runnings of something. He does that well. And that person to whom he's entrusted prospers greatly. You're going to see that again repeated. When I'm beginning to understand about God's process, when you come to acknowledge your gifting, that in the tension, he starts to show you repeat principles that he's trying to instill character inside of you. Because your gifting is starting to get trained up. Your gift gives you the ability to stand before kings and queens. We know that in Proverbs. But to stand before a king and queen, you have got to have done your background work. And God does not put his, ki- his kids in front of kings and queens without having done the work inside them first. Because the pressure of that gifting on you makes you think that you did it. The pressure and the weight, when you are in your full flow in your gifting, there is something about you thinking that you did something. You suddenly like, oh my gosh, well, did I just do the Emmys? Oh, hallelujah. That's amazing, Jesus. Oh, wow. But it's when you've been through the ringer with God that you start to realize I am nothing without him. I can do nothing outside of him. He is my everything, everything. Everything. So when you stand before the king, when you're standing like I was doing uh, a week ago at the, in the, an office in, in London with the Swiss bank where they're telling you, we would like you to work with our billionaire clients, and they have. And I'm sitting there looking at St. Paul's Cathedral on the one hand, and I'm thinking, how did I get here, Jesus? This is amazing. But I'm also going all glory to you because I know the process that I've been through. So it doesn't get me in the sense of, oh my word, I'm amazing. I'm just like, God, you took a girl from Zim? No, wow. Wow. Okay, because Zimbabweans are amazing, and I'm so glad that I'm from there. But as we know, fast forward, um, Potiphar had a wife, and she was very interested in Joseph. She was like, you hot stuff, come to my bedroom. Um, Joseph was like, no, be gone, woman, be gone. I leave my garment with you. So um, we know what was interesting about this is that the garment that, distinct, that made him distinct became a piece of clothing that put him in prison. Whoa. Did you get that? He was distinct because of the garment. Now the garment is sending him down because she held that garment and that was proof. She fabricated the whole thing, but the garment was what she held against him. Oh, but God's a redeemer. I love it. So amazing. Of course, now he's gone from the Uh, Now he's gone from like a level of high standing and now he's officially like fast-tracked himself into prison. But prison is a beautiful place. Why am I saying that? Because the fruits of prison accelerate you like nothing before. There is no ways that someone who's sitting in a maximum security prison in Paulsmoor will be the vice president of South Africa unless it's God. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. So you're telling me that um, Cyril Ramaphosa has, like, a dream about seven skinny cows, fat cows, and he realizes he has a water crisis. And someone calls him and says, oh, you know, there was this guy in Paul's Mall, like, and I heard that he really helped me with the dream. And Cyril says, bring him, bring him. He comes and interprets the dream, and the next thing, the guy's a VP. Are you joking? <laughs> that is called the word of God. God is the God of the impossible. He can take you from your pit in one day and put you in the place of authority with kings and queens. But note the following that Joseph's character had been tested and brought to his knees. Why? Because he interpreted the dream of the butler. He was like, butler you will be pouring wine for the king and he will be having a great time and you will be up, you know, upgraded. Baker you're going to die. Oh wow, that's not so great. So he gets promoted and I love the Bible between Genesis chapter 4 in Genesis chapter forty-one, um, it goes two years later. <laughs> Can you fill in two years, please, Jesus? Because I want to know what did he do. Like, I, I mean, I just wanted two years, two two years later, doing what? Like, I, do you know what it is? He was doing the same thing over and over again because God was taking the Joseph out of him so that he could be glorified when he was going to be glorified. Because there was no way that Joseph after two years was when he was in the presence of the king, would be able to put glory on himself. Because he knew, he knew, it's all Jesus. So in those two years, he learned the same things he learned in Potiphar's house. Administration, governance, economics, supply and demand. But now he's in a prison, so he's used to dealing with scarce resources. Ding dong. Where's he going? He's about to make some, he's about to do some economic research and management skills in a time of plenty to prepare for a time of lack. So when he gets into the presence of Pharaoh, who says, I have had this peculiar dream, and the cows, and you know the story, and I'm going quickly for the sake of time. Pharaoh goes, my word, this guy is phenomenal. We've had all these highly skilled magicians, and everybody trying to interpret my dream, but nobody can do it like this man. But I ask you, if you analyze the story of Joseph, where did he learn these skills? It certainly wasn't being a shepherd boy with his dad. It certainly even wasn't for that brief time, even in Potiphar's house, because he was managing an already managed household. It was in prison. It was in the pit. When he was forgotten. When the distinction of, I got me a coat. I don't know you got a coat. Like, you know, you're in prison now, and we're all equal. But yet, God was with him. So sometimes when you are pursuing God and saying, God, I know I'm called to something, I'm gifted in something, and you're in the middle of something, it doesn't make any sense. But God is still faithful because He's setting you up for His destiny, which leads me to my next part, which is the release. The release. So we've got the gifting, the tension, the tension, which exists. Why? Because He's molding your character to release you into your destiny now everybody's destiny is different and I want to just really dwell on this part we know the story which is so beautiful Joseph and this is my part which I love and I want to be like oh God you're awesome it's, it's um, Genesis chapter 41 and verse 41 Ah, oh, it's just beautiful rounding up it says then Pharaoh said to Joseph see I have set you over all the land of Egypt whoa it was always his destiny the prophetic word he had as a kid was coming to pass when he was 17 and now he's thirty. And now he's been set over all the land, the same thing. Pharaoh's like, I'm not even going to worry about you. Do whatever you want to do with the wheat. Like, see you later. Like, I just want to know that we're going to survive the drought. Okay, And and did we not learn that same principle right when he entered into the prison? But note, two years of perfecting the art, perfecting the craft of the gifting. I love this because as I read this, I'm like, Joseph learned governance, policy, economics, operations, management, humility, numeracy, interpersonal skills, human resource administration. The pit. The pit. The pit we avoid. The pit we run from. Potiphar's house, light admin, light, like easy, easy. The pit, serious MBA, serious MBA. But I move on here to another setup with God. Verse 42, and Pharaoh took off his signet ring and from his hand, he put it on Joseph's hand. Whoa, power transfer. Power transfer. I entrust you my kingdom. I'm entrusting you. And this part, and arrayed him in official vestments of fine linen and put on a gold chain on his neck. The garment was restored. The garment was restored. It hit me when I read that. I was like, man, that same garment that got him there. God didn't just restore the garment he gave him all the land and authority and the signet ring and authority and everything and I will go quickly now he got a wife quick sticks imagine I I just I have a sense of humor because I think God's a storyteller and I just think it's hilarious but Joseph in one day gets a wife like imagine you're in maximum security prison and you're like you're trying to date now so God's like, look, I'm going to help you and just give you somebody. So you don't have to explain the backstory. I just love that. So um, it's so beautiful. But this is the part that I, I love. So don't despise the famine, guys. Don't despise the pit. Don't despise the prison. Because it is there that your character is tested. No matter how glorious your gifting, there is a process to the gifting that releases you into your destiny. That includes the pit. It includes the prison. No matter how glorious you're gifting, you could be the next Billy Graham, the next Oprah Winfrey, the next Elon Musk. I don't care because God knows our character. And he knows that the higher the elevation, the higher the ability you need to be humble beyond yourself in order to sustain the glory that you carry. Because you carry his glory and it is a lot to carry in that presence. Because the moment you start to think it's you, you start to see cracks. Verse fifty. Now Joseph, to Joseph were born two sons. I love this; it makes me tear. And I, I'm going to cry at some point, so I'm just warning you, or maybe not. Before the years of famine came, and I love that the firstborn was called Manasseh, called making to, making to forget, for God said, for for God's, for God He said has made me forget all my toil and hardship in my father's house. <laughs> Joseph was in his now destiny but the truth was he didn't have reconciliation with his family and this is the thing about god now is he's a full picture god he doesn't just give you the gifting he remembers that you haven't seen your dad since you were 17 And the truth is, at that point, you're thinking, God, you did good. I'm a VP. I've got a motorcade. I've got an amazing wife. I've got two kids. I am the most powerful person after Pharaoh in the land. But there was some, because if you name your firstborn, help me to forget my past, you know that it was something on his mind. But here's the deal even if Joseph had stayed with his dad, would he have ever learned those administrative skills, herding his father's sheep? Because no matter what, it was that prison that pulled out that ability to lead a nation. But yet it was still on his heart. But, and I'm sure he told his wife, so I have a family, but I can't, can't sorry, my life is now, boom. Second child. And um, I know, I have funny weird isms. And the second child, he called Ephraim to be fruitful. And he said, God has called me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So you could see there was still, it was still rumbling. But again, The pit happened for Joseph's family because there was a famine, guys. And if it wasn't for the famine, the reconciliation wouldn't have come. Because Jacob was like, guys, we're starving here. And he's like, boys, please go. I hear there's land in Egypt. And they're like, okay, we're off. And note, if you read this text very closely, it says Jacob left one son behind. Why do you think that is? Because he remembered when once when he sent them all out and one didn't come back. So Jacob was still mourning that process himself. And as for those brothers, the best supporting actor award goes to. For how many years are you pretending you killed your brother? Like, for reals now, you know? Um, so that I found this so interesting. But it was the famine that led them to restoration. A quick divergence. If it wasn't for the famine... Ruth would have never met Boaz because as much as she had lost her husband and that is traumatic enough, the famine drove them out into her purpose and destiny. And look at God. He doesn't just give you a good man. He gives you a wealthy landowner man, (laughs) but he doesn't just stop there. He goes, I'll give you a wealthy landowner man and I will make you in line in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So the very forgotten one, the very woman who was like, I'm going to follow my dead husband's wife to a land I do not know in a time of famine. And I love the scripture where it says it was the time of the barley harvest. She had no idea. They went there to, to, to get barley, but that barley was a change of season for her. So as she worked tirelessly getting those bits of barley, what was it that, that Boaz noticed? She worked harder than the others. Sometimes when you're in your gifting, your gifting makes room because people see you at work in it, and it makes them stop and pay attention. She was getting the scraps, and she was working harder than the people who had access to the full plot of land, but little did she know that working so hard gave her access to her complete destiny and purpose. Fast forward, and this is so beautiful. We know the story. The brothers come, hidden this, hidden that, in sacks. And then the the big reveal. And the reveal for me is probably, along with Joseph's and Moses' last moments, probably one of the most epic moments in Scripture, because as with the cinematic brain that I have, it's just profound. Because it was nine years later. He'd been a vice president for nine years. And in nine years, when you're VPing, you kind of think to yourself, oh, God's... Like the full restoration of the full the things that are really hurting me, God's probably forgotten that. I should just be grateful because He got me out of the pit, and I've got an amazing wife, and I'm amazed. But I I read as I read that scripture that God goes to that thing that you think is impossible. He goes there. He goes. You know, you think you're never going to see your family again. You think you don't even know about your dad. You think the full restoration of your heart. You think I'm just a god who cares about your career. You think I'm a God who just cares about your doing for me? I care about your heart. And nine years, nine years, and it was the famine that brought about the release of his purpose. So my life story, your life story, is one in which I want to encourage you to discover the gift that God's given you. Because every single one of us here has a gift. And some of you are going to do extraordinary things. Nations are waiting for a lot of you. Nations are waiting. They're literally waiting. God has positioned you in this nation of South Africa, in the nations of the earth. God is a global big God. He is not small in thinking, He is not limited in resource. But what He is passionate about is heart and process. And often when you are obedient to Christ, it comes at a price. And in the pit, no one knows your context. You're just a prisoner like the rest of them. No one knows that you were the one who had the beautiful garment and you were awesome. But God sees and God was with him. And God knew that the reason he had to go through that time of testing was that the glory that awaited him. The glory and the impact, the generations, the nations that he would impact as a result of his obedience Was going to be so much more profound than even the highest moments he had been in at that point. The pit is not to be despised, the prison, neither, because God redeems every process of our lives if we allow Him to. There is a reason for that tension, because it brings you to your knees. It brings you to a place of humility, it brings you to a place of brokenness, because you can't do this thing without Him. You can't stand before kings and presidents and leaders of nations and think that your intellect will get you there. It doesn't say your education will bring you before kings. It says your gift will bring you before kings. Your gift, and you only need one person to remember you to get you into that palace. One butler. You only need 15 people. You do need a CV to be sent. You just need one person to say, hey, I think there was this girl. I, I don't. You just need one person. And it changes things for a nation. So I want to encourage you tonight, wherever you are on the spectrum of the story, take great faith. God has not anointed you and brought you here just to be average. You are not average. You are exceptionally brilliant people who have outstanding careers. There is nothing you cannot do with the God that we serve. He is faithful beyond faithful. But he will take you through the process of testing because he loves you too much, too much, too much to let the glory of what's to come crush your spirit. So thank you for having me and God bless. Okay, so I was almost finished, but this is a little addendum. Um, Laurens just asked me to share a small part of the process, and it relates to Joseph. I was just being time, because in my job, time is important. Yeah. So we love that. <laughs> Okay, all right, okay. Um, so just just um, in closing, um, I grew up in a – I didn't have a relationship with my father, um, so I didn't grow up with my father for like 20-plus years. Um so amazing mom who raised me in the Lord, but no no father figure. So a lot of my drive and ambition in my gifting came a lot from the brokenness that I had experienced with the lack of a father figure. So I was running like almost to prevent myself from needing to trust anybody. And um, God saw that and he allowed it to a point and he was like, you 're going to burn yourself out, and I did had a nice little burnout, um, but still that wasn't enough. He needed to go deeper, so this was so profound how God does things again, looking at the life of Joseph where you 've got this gift and the restoration of family. I ran a company for i started a company production company in Cape Town, doing well by you know Cape Town ish standards, working hard standards, but I always wanted to speak and God opened an amazing door for me to speak in Germany last year, which catapulted me to where I am today. And in that process, God showed me very much that he wanted me to be in London. You see, because I had no idea that my context of my story was just a conduit to where I was going. I thought that I was a producer forever. Amen. I didn't realize that God can still take you on. It's because it's a journey. It's a continuum of time. So God leads me to London and with it, a a relationship with my father starts from basically nothing. Um, Every day I spend with my father is basically a milestone. I spent the first seven weeks I've spent with him last year, with the first seven weeks I've spent with him in like over 20 plus years. And at the same time, God is now telling me, I want you to leave South Africa and move to London and continue the speaking career from there. And I'm going to open doors for you. So God... Helps me work through that process of closing a business. You don't start a business to close it. That's a bit confusing. Um, And then retrenching staff. That was hard. Um, It was, there were a whole lot of different um, issues around that and being in a place of vulnerability because that business had become me. It was my identity. I was Talia Productions, like, you know, Talia and Talia Productions, you know? Um, And suddenly when you take that away from you, who are you? So God had to, dealt with that and took that away from me and then he brought me to London and in bringing me to London was like I'm going to show you who you are first I'm your father and then I'm going to deal with your father so I'm in London and I'm celebrating things like my father's first 68th birthday my father's getting to know me for the first time and I'm getting to know my father for the first time in a way that I can't even describe there there was a piece that came from over me because I wasn't running anymore. Because there is no Emmy that can fill you. There is no Academy Award. This is just a thing. This just empty, hollow people doing their thing. But it's not going to fulfill you like knowing who you are fills you. So God took me through that very difficult process of restoration, painful process of restoration, and a lot of healing took place. And simultaneously to that, God's opening like mega doors. In like the most insane ways in the most incredible places from Germany to Switzerland to Canada to like billionaires. Things that he spoke to me that he would do like when I was a wee kid in prophetic words that were given to me over the years. But I never would have in a million years thought that the, that God would use the pulling away of a business that I'd built Note I, huh, Uh, for so long. And then the building forward of pushing me into my destiny, and then also saying, family is important. I would have never in a million years, I thought you had to sacrifice one for the other because that's what the world says. And then I saw the hand of God, and He was like, no. You are a daughter to a man who's been praying for you to come home. What kind of wife would I have been? (laughs) Difficult and hard, very driving. God knew the singleness season was necessary. It was my version of a pit for that very reason. Because he knew that you needed to come out of this so I could release you into the next season for a very specific reason. And now, with my relationship with my father, it's been a journey of learning how to receive love. Small little things, like, Dad wants to take my bag. I'm not used to that. I had to, like... Oh, he wants to take. Okay, that's because I was so self-sufficient. I relied on myself. I was, I you know how Paul goes. I was the chief, like chief, whatever it is in the scripture. You know that scripture. I was the chief striver. (laughs) I was the striver of the chief striver. You know, I knew striving, hard work. I knew that well. I did not know yields. I did not know receive. I did not know agape love. I did not know love. I just knew strive, strive, strive. Until God was like, I need to deal with this. Because I can't take you to a place of elevation. And deep down, there's still a wound that i got to deal with. So God flung me halfway across the world in a place that snows, as you see. And said, "I I need to deal with your heart. And he's still dealing with my heart. But I can tell you one thing. He's intentional. The season of winter was long. But spring has come. Spring has come. So that's why today, in closing, is a real, this is my release. It's my release because I've come out of my winter. And I said to the Lord when I was preparing for this, and here they come. I said, Jesus, don't lead me to these people so that I speak for a place of myself. These, they have come to see you. They haven't come to meet me. They've come to encounter Jesus. And from that place, that was when I just said, Father, if you have released me from my season, from my season of prison pit, (laughs) from my season of retrenching staff that I loved, from my season of this is the company that I will always have and will get me to where I thought I'd be, if this is is my ending, then God let me go. But if it is not, keep me here because I don't want to speak from a place of turmoil, but I want to speak from a place of peace. And then when we spoke, I knew before even we spoke that he was like, it's time. And my season has come to an end, so it's springtime. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at
1: www.shofar.joburg.com.